It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control the discussion today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino, author of Go Bills and Buffalo's Run, also the co-host of the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. want to thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day, and a big welcome and shout-out to our everydayers. You know who you are. Those of you who never miss a single episode, I appreciate y'all being here very, very much. I'd also like to invite you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. Well, folks, here's what we have lined up for you today. I've got a couple of segments of herd mentality, some good questions, some of the buzzy stuff that people are talking about, whether it's middle linebacker, Kyer Elam, some trade ideas, some free agent ideas. We'll get to all of that. And then in the last segment, I want to talk about Ryan Van DeMark. And he's a very fascinating player because he was the first man up on Saturday to replace Deion Dawkins at left tackle when the Bills put their second string offensive line in. And so I want to talk to you about him, uh, what he brings to the table. He's a player that I scouted coming out of UConn. And so I have some thoughts there to give you. But let's start with herd mentality. And this one from Peter is uh, is aligns with what a lot of people sent in. And Peter says, how worried are you after the preseason game about middle linebacker and the everydayers know if you've been following this podcast throughout the entire off season and to this point, you know, the concern that I have for the middle linebacker position before the draft, I talk about talked about it as the biggest hole on the team. And I think you can make a case that there were bigger needs, but the biggest hole was always at middle linebacker. And then the bills really didn't do anything at middle linebacker. They drafted Dorian Williams in the third round who they're playing as an outside linebacker, but they didn't really replace Tremaine Edmonds. They have Terrell Bernard, who they drafted in the third round back in 2022, and Tyrell Dotson, who was a UDFA a few years back that's been around since 2019. But I've never looked at any of these Bills' options, whether it's Tyrell Dotson or Terrell Bernard or Balin Specter. And I thought to myself, you know what? I think they're NFL starting caliber middle linebackers. I do have a legitimate concern, and I've had a legitimate concern that the Bills do not have an NFL caliber starting middle linebacker on the roster. And that is something that is concerning to me. It's been concerning to me. And after watching the Colts game, I don't feel any better about it. Now, I'm going to watch the All-22 this afternoon and Monday morning, and our next podcast will be uh, about what that revealed to me about some of the critical players, including Tyrell Dotson. But I don't think he played well, at least in the live watch. And I'm not sure that going back through the tape is going to reveal something drastically different than what I experienced when I watched him live. And so I, I do look at this Bill's middle linebacker position, and I think to myself, I am far from convinced that there's an actual NFL starting caliber player ready to take that role, even if Terrell Bernard was available. And Sean McDermott talked about Terrell Bernard and said, look, he's got a hamstring injury. Those typically take some time to come back from, and we expect that to be the case with Bernard. 
I mean, this job is being, I, I don't want to say handed to Tyrell Dotson, but what can Terrell Bernard do from the sideline to win the job? This is going to be Tyrell Dotson. And I just, I don't feel like any of these options are NFL starting caliber guys. And it's a major concern. Sean McDermott's going to potentially have to scheme around it and figure it out. And some teams do, right? Some teams do just kind of figure it out at middle linebacker. The Bills typically haven't, and Sean McDermott hasn't been that. He's enjoyed Luke Keekley to Tremaine Edmonds. And now he's got Tyrell Dotson, and if Terrell Bernard can get healthy and make some noise, I guess, I'm not convinced with these options. Peter has a follow-up. He said, do you think Sean being more aggressive at play calling is going to leave the defense susceptible to big plays? Well, I think that's a fair component to the conversation. There's risk-reward with whatever style of defense you choose to play. And being more aggressive with how you align, how you cover, blitzing, yes, that is going to potentially leave you susceptible to big plays. Now, one thing that the Bills have been elite at, whatever the highest level over the last several years under Leslie Frazier is they've been so good at limiting big plays. But there were obviously times where it could be death, death by a million paper cuts, and obviously some of those playoff performances weren't good enough. That's something that I talked a lot about coming out of the Cincinnati loss is that the Bills' defense has really let them down in the postseason. Really good regular season defenses, but they're struggling in the postseason when it matters most. And I'll take the philosophical shift. I really will. Um, because continuing to think that you're going to play passively and knock off a Joe Burrow or a Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs hadn't been working. And so I'm perfectly fine with kind of switching things up philosophically and you know, you're not going to completely leave yourself vulnerable, but you want to dictate the action as well. You don't want to have these offense going out there and just doing what they want to do. You want to dictate terms as much as you can. And I like that Sean McDermott appears to be embracing that ideology. So, uh, yeah, you are going to be more susceptible to giving up big plays, uh, but I'll take more negative plays and turnovers uh, as a result of that possibility. And also we can't, forget that Micah Hyde is back and Micah Hyde as that deep middle defender that true center fielder one of the best deep ball defenders in the entire NFL him being in that role does open up more for the Bills to be aggressive with what they do in front of him and so Micah Hyde is a player that we have to be mindful of when you start to think to yourself well could the Bills give up some more big plays well yeah they could but there's that 23 guy back there and he's really good at eliminating and taking away big plays the next one here is from a lot of people, right? A lot of people ask me this question, and it's a good follow-up to Peter's first question about middle linebacker and, uh, you know, am I concerned? Am I worried about it? And, you know, I've communicated now and in the past that I don't think the Bills have an NFL starting caliber player. And a lot of you guys have reached out and said, well, what free agents are out there? Well, could the Bills add a player at this point that could elevate the room and I think the simple answer is yes, and I don't get overly excited about signing guys in the middle of August to be a starter at an important position, and there's certainly that dynamic of, well, these guys that are in the mix have time on task. They've been there for at least a season, some of them multiple seasons. 
We hear about how important the communication aspect is. And if they were to come into the building right now, they're going to be behind. But when you look at it through the lens of, well, your bar to clear is, are they better than Tyrell Dotson? Well, I perk up and I think that's a pretty low bar to clear. And there are some free agent options out there that are at least worth considering, in my opinion. Now, two of them, Miles Jack and Zach Cunningham, they were recently signed by the Philadelphia Eagles. But there's still Anthony Barr out there. There's Rashawn Evans, Jayon Brown, Jermaine Carter, just to name like four players that I think, okay, are they better than Tyrell Dotson? The answer to that question is probably yes to all four of those guys. And so given my concern level, for the position and given the fact that I think that these could be potential upgrades, I am not going to resist or push back on any idea of adding one of those four players uh, to improve the situation because I just don't know that it's a good enough situation to be resisting those types of players to come in and potentially improve what's going on. And so it's a low bar to clear and I'm interested and you guys, you guys have been listening to this podcast long enough that I'm not super eager to be excited about all these outside options and that, they could come in and really make an impact. Like I, I, I resist that a lot of time, especially for starting positions, especially at this time of year. But I think it's such a low bar, such a low bar to clear that I get interested. Next one here comes from Tom. Tom says, "Is it time to panic on Kyer Elam if he can't beat out two late day three guys in Dane Jackson and Christian Benford?" I think this is a fair question, and I think that it's something that's coming up from a lot of people, and. I think there's a lot that goes into answering this. First of all, I acknowledge that Kyer Elam is a first-round pick and Christian Benford's a sixth-round pick and Dane Jackson's a seventh-round pick. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. The Bills didn't draft Kyer Elam in the first round and trade up to get him to not be able to beat out those players. All right, I, I fully acknowledge that. And in, in an ideal world, Kyer Elam would come in and he'd run away with the job and he'd be an awesome player opposite of Tredavious White and we'd love that cornerback tandem. Unfortunately, that's just not reality right now. But what I'll say about that is, is Kyrie Elam is still a very young football player. He turned 22 in May, just a few months ago. He's younger than Dalton Kincaid. He's younger than Osiris Torrance, who are both already 23, and they will turn 24 before Kyrie Elam turns 23. They're like a year and a half older, all right? So the the book on Kyrie Elam is not, written even if he doesn't start this year across from Tredavious White. And for as much as clearly the intent of drafting Kyrie Elam was for him to be a starter, and that's what fans and I'm sure the team would want to be true, it just isn't right now. And I think the silver lining here that we should acknowledge is I'm happy that the Buffalo Bills are willing to be honest about their evaluation process in terms of players in their building and starting roles are not connected to how much money you're making or how high you were drafted. If the sixth round pick is better than the first round pick, the sixth round pick's going to play. And that's the way that it should be. And so for as disappointing and as frustrating as it might be that Kyrie Elam's not running away with this job, at least in the eyes of Sean McDermott and the Bills coaching staff, I think we can celebrate for a second that, hey, it's good that they're willing to have open competitions, everything's earned, and it doesn't matter if you're a first-round pick, a sixth-round pick, or a seventh-round pick, the guy that they're most comfortable with playing is going to play. 
And I don't know that that's always the case. Sometimes playing time is tied to the investment, whether it's free agent dollars or draft status. And so I think that's your silver lining. Again, I can fully be disappointed that Kyer Elam hasn't run away with the job, but I can also look at that silver lining and say, you know what? I think that's a pretty good thing as well. And let's not act like Dane Jackson's the worst football player in the planet. There's a floor there that obviously gives Sean McDermott a level of comfort uh, to be able to execute this defense. And we don't know every single detail that goes into it and how uh, guys are performing within those criteria. And so there's a lot. It's it's a nuanced conversation that I think it's fair to have a, a, an array of different emotions and responses to it. But let's look at the entire picture and make sure that we're aware of all of it and not just, well, Sean McDermott doesn't want to play the first round pick and he just wants to go with these low floor or these high floor players, low ceiling players, uh, because he's comfortable, right? There's more to it than just that. And I hope that you guys can see that through how I answered the question. All right, we got a bunch more to get to here, but first need to tell you about Underdog Fantasy. Folks, check it out. August is here. You know what that means, the official start of fantasy football drafting month. So get championship ready for your home league by trying out best ball on Underdog Fantasy. Underdog is the easiest place to play fantasy football, and it's the best place for best ball. All you do is one live snake draft. There's no waivers. There's no trades. And then Underdog sets your lineup, your best lineup, each week. So try it out with Underdog's Best Ball Mania Tournament. It's the largest fantasy football contest of all time. It's back again this year, even bigger, with $15 million of total prizes up for grabs, including an absurd $3 million going to the winner. And folks, last year, the winner drafted their team in July, so there is no reason for you to wait around. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the App Store and sign up with promo code LOCKEDON. If you do that, you'll get your first deposit doubled up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com, or find them in the App Store. Use our promo code LOCKEDON to double that first deposit up to $100. All right, folks, the next one here today comes from Justin. Justin says, who do you think is the odd man out at defensive tackle and why? Or do they roster five defensive tackles this year? It's a great question, Justin, something that I've wrestled with quite a bit over the last few weeks. And let's assume there's no injuries, right? Because an injury could make this conversation very, very easy. But assuming everyone is healthy, I think it's fair to look at this situation and believe that the Bills will keep five defensive tackles and five defensive ends for a total of 10 defensive linemen. When you look at the defensive tackles, there's just no logical player at the position to cut. Whether it's talent, whether it's contract, it's going to be hard to say goodbye to any of them. And so, therefore, I don't think the Bills will. And look, I mean, we, you, you talk about that big five. Is that Oliver, Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, Puna Ford, Jordan Phillips? They still got Elianku as well, who's, I mean, he was awesome against the Colts. Cortez Broughton, Kendall Vickers. I mean, there's a lot of depth even behind the big five. And so even on the practice squad, you feel like you're going to have some nice options. But you normally there's a, a clear indicator, something about the contracts, the guaranteed money, whatever you want to point to, you can find, okay, that's probably your odd man out. I struggle to find it at defensive tackle, and I think they'll keep 10 defensive linemen. So I think they keep all five of those defensive tackles, and I think they keep Rousseau, 
course, AJ Epinesa, Leonard Floyd, Boogie Basham, and Shaq Lawson at defensive end for five and five. And then whenever Von Miller's ready to come back, you figure it out from there. But I think to start the year, assuming no injuries, five edge rushers, five interior players. John says, and this is a question I, I continue to get, uh, why not just put the green dot on Matt Milano? He never leaves the field and is certainly and is centrally located in the defensive formation to be able to communicate with all three levels of the defense. Wouldn't this simplify things significantly when the middle linebacker seems to be in flux? Yeah, you're you're not wrong. However, I just don't think that Matt Milano is that type of guy, right? He's a very quiet person, doesn't say much. And so asking him to be the lead communicator for your defense is not necessarily putting him in a position to do what he does best. And I think the Bills are pretty resistant to really switch things up with Matt Milano, which I fully understand. I mean, he fills a certain role for this defense. He does it at an elite level and putting more on his plate or switching his responsibilities might make him a lesser player. And I'm not interested in that at all. And so I just don't know that Matt Milano is that type of guy that's going to be the vocal communicator uh, to, to do that piece of what is required of the green dot player. And Sean McDermott has said that ideally it's the middle linebacker. He's open to other things, whatever's best for the football team. And, and maybe that will be Matt Milano. Maybe that'll be Micah Hyde. Maybe that'll be Jordan Poyer. Maybe that's Taron Johnson. I don't know. Ideally, it's the middle linebacker. But when I think about Matt Milano, I've gotten this question a ton uh, throughout the last several months. I just don't think he's a communicator. I mean, listen to him talk. He's very quiet. I just don't think you're putting him in a position to succeed if you add that to his plate. Next one here comes from Mark. Mark says, in the past, you have talked about how you don't want to make two moves on the O-line to replace one person. I think Aaron Cromer has said that as well. But should that be the case this year? I feel like Ryan Bates is our best backup at every O-line position, and moving him wherever there may be an injury to insert Osiris Torrance at right guard might make the most sense. It is clearly the case at center, but should this be our plan if there is an injury to any offensive line spots, I think it should. Well, I love the versatility of Ryan Bates, but it feels like he's only getting reps at right guard and center. And so I'm sure there's some natural ability for him to just play left guard as well. But I'm not sure the Bills look at him as a tackle. I think they look at him as an interior player, a three-hole spot. I think he can play all five if you had to. But I think if you made me guess, the Bills are going to roster nine offensive linemen. And I think they're going to have a primary backup for each one with Ryan Bates being the primary backup at two spots. So I think you have your starting five. Let's assume it's Osiris Torrance. And so Ryan Bates is your first guy in at center and right guard. And then your first guy in at left guard for Connor McGovern is David Edwards. Your first guy in at right tackle for Spencer Brown is Brandon Shell. And your first guy in for Deion Dawkins at left tackle is right now Ryan Van DeMark. And we're going to talk about him in the next segment. So I think you could kind of have that scenario where there is one guy to replace each player and not have to do this musical chair shuffling around type situation because one guy gets injured, which we've seen in the past, right? Like Mitch Morris gets, goes down all of a sudden your right guard or Ryan Bates goes to uh, center. Then Darrell Williams goes to right guard and someone else comes in at right tackle. We've seen that and you don't want that. And I think that even if it's not Ryan Bates as that first guy for all five spots, they can achieve that uh, with the versatility that exists on the roster. And I think that's when you've observed or I've observed the offensive line rotation uh, at several camp practices, it feels like that's what we're going to get this year. I mean, last year, if you remember, like David Questenberry was playing five spots 
That hadn't happened in camp this year. Uh, Bobby Hart was playing multiple spots. These guys are pretty much playing one position. And um, I think you'll you'll see a little bit more of that um, come regular season as as inevitably injuries happen. Bobby says, I'm with you on Gabe Davis being our number two, but let's say injury happens to Gabe Davis because there's no way he's being traded or released. And Mike Evans is on the trade block from Tampa Bay. Do we go for something like that or hope to stash a wide receiver on the practice squad and pray no one signs them? So I think what Bobby's getting at is if Gabe Davis were to get injured and the Bills were left without him, would Mike Evans be a logical candidate for the Bills to trade for? And, and I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, Mike Evans, 30 years old. He's in a contract year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I have extremely low expectations for the Bucs. I think their offensive well, a lot of their offensive personnel is a disaster. Their, their head coach, Todd Bowles, not a fan. I think they'll be pretty good on defense. But, I mean, Baker Mayfield slash Kyle Trask as your starting quarterback, it doesn't look good there. I think they're like a, a three- to six-win team this year. And so um, I'm not sure how quickly it turns around. I'm not sure if Mike Evans would like to kind of get to a contender for the last part of his career. Um, but I think it's, it's possible. I, I think Mike Evans, from a culture p- perspective, would really fit – um, the Bills uh, in, in so many different ways. But obviously you, you hope Gabe Davis doesn't get injured and you can enjoy him as your number two and then have to worry about the contract there. But if it did come down to the Bills needing to trade for a wide receiver, I think invoking Mike Evans as a logical candidate absolutely makes a lot of sense. All right, we're going to talk about Ryan, Ryan Van DeMark here after a quick word from FanDuel. Folks, football season is about to kick off and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long because right now when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. So just pick any team to win the Super Bowl. If you think it's the Bills, pick the Bills to win the Super Bowl and you'll get bonus bets for every victory and you can use your bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and so much more. So check it out. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook, that's fanduel.com slash locked on. All right, folks, after the uh, the Colts preseason game and me observing that the first guy in at left tackle once Deion Dawkins went out was Ryan Van DeMark, I told you I was going to have to tell you about Ryan Van DeMark. And so we're going to spend some time here to close this conversation with uh, a discussion on Ryan Van DeMark, who might be the Bills. Swing tackle might be their first man in at left tackle. And uh, I'm familiar with him, and so I want to get you up to speed with Ryan Vandemark because we have not discussed him really at all on this podcast. And so let me tell you what I know about Ryan Vandemark. Uh, UDFA out of UConn uh, last year, so 2022. And he was a UDFA by the Bills and spent 2022 on the Bills practice squad. So he's a guy that's been around a little bit. I'm sure he's worked hard at the things the Bills have communicated to him and looks like he's at least getting a reasonable shot to be one of the nine offensive linemen that ultimately make this roster. And so Ryan Vandemark, a four-year starter out of UConn, uh, his freshman year, he started off as a right tackle, uh, started nine games at right tackle, and then he started 34 in a row from 2018 through 2021 at left tackle. And one of the big observations that I had, and I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to check the tape. I'll give you more thoughts here throughout the course of the week. But when Van DeMarc went in at left tackle, I thought he played really well. When he had to play on the right side, 
I thought he struggled. And so um, maybe just a more natural left side player hasn't really played on the right side since 2017. And, um, you know, we've seen that with certain players. You're just better on certain sides than the other. And again, with Ryan Vandemark, a lot of his experience, especially over the last five years, has been on the left side. He's got tremendous size, six, six and a half, 307 pounds, long arms, 35 and three quarter inch arms, 10 and a half inch hands. Folks, that's what you're looking for. Six, six, 35 and three quarter inch arms and 10 and a half inch hands. That is tremendous. A wingspan of 85 and five eighth inches. I mean, all the length you could possibly want in an offensive tackle. And he's a premier athlete. He has a relative athletic score of a 9.45, and a perfect score is a 10. So he's in that elite tier of athlete when you adjust it for size. And some of the numbers athletically that really stand out, he has a 30-and-a-half-inch vertical jump, a 9-foot-4-inch broad jump, a 4-5 short shuttle, and a 7-5-3 cone with a 1-7-5 10-yard split. I don't know how familiar you are with those tests and what good scores are, but every one of those scores I just gave you are great numbers, which are reason why his RAS score is an elite number of nine four five. So we talk about physical ability, size, athleticism. Ryan Van Demark has it in waves. And so here I am. I'm telling you all about the great size and athleticism, a four-year starter in college. Why in the world was this guy undrafted and, and all that? So let's let's talk about that because his game tape at UConn was pretty uneven. And um, let me give you, this is just the summary section. I wrote a full scouting report on him coming out in 2022. This is just a very small, condensed uh, summary. This is what I said. Ryan Van Demark earned playing time as a freshman at right tackle in 2017 and then continued to start for three star, uh, three seasons at left tackle for UConn. The best part of Van Demark's game is his length and how he competes to use angles and body position to execute his assignments. When it comes to concerns, Van DeMark lacks functional strength, bend, timing, and versatility. If he can get notably stronger and learn to play with better bend, it would go a long way in his chances of sticking in the NFL. His body type will garner some attention, but he needs considerable development after producing uneven tape at UConn and struggling against top competition. I gave him a late day three slash undrafted free agent grade, and then, of course, the NFL didn't draft him, so we kind of saw him uh, pretty similarly, but there's there's appeal here. There's upside. There's um, there's room for him to grow. Uh, kind of giving you some more context with Ryan Van Demark. Like I said, he played at UConn, and I'm not sure what you know about UConn football, but it ain't good. They've struggled for a very very long time uh, in a big way, and you know they've had some weird coaching situations, and that's never going to lend itself to players developing and becoming the best version of themselves. Uh, he's also a guy that really um, had an interesting journey through high school. Um, he didn't play uh, football as a junior in high school, and then he grew five inches during his junior season or his junior year in high school and wound up playing football again as a senior and had a great season, was like an all-state selection in New Jersey, um, but that didn't really put him in position to get a ton of looks from big programs coming out of high school. Uh, in fact, for UConn, a team that has absolutely struggled at football, I mean, he was the lowest-ranked recruit in their 2017 class, and most of the attention that he had coming out of high school was from FCS schools. And look, like I mentioned, UConn just didn't really foster the right environment for him to go out and develop 
like perhaps his physical traits suggested that he could. So what I'm trying to get at here is this is an overlooked player. I mean, I think his most of his athletic accomplishments in high school was was volleyball until his last year, and he, he had a good year playing football, uh, but was kind of overlooked. And he's intriguing to me. Uh, you know, I like physical tools. I like length. I like that athleticism. He gives you all those types of things. And then going back to my scouting report, I wrote the best part of his game is his length and how he competes to use angles and body position to execute his his assignments. If you were to have a conversation with Aaron Cromer about what he appreciates in an offensive lineman, and I have had this conversation with Aaron Cromer, he would tell you length, body positioning, angles. Those are those are some of his most important traits. Aaron Cromer isn't necessarily looking for guys that are going to flat back opponents and, and run them out of the stadium, right? He wants guys that can play under control, that can sit on their hips, can stay square and understand angles. And in, in some ways, the best parts of Ryan Vandemark really align with some of those attributes that I know Aaron Cromer really appreciates in an offensive lineman. And so um, I may have been asleep on Ryan Vandemark. I'm not anymore. I think the Bills told us that we shouldn't be asleep when they put him in right after Deion Dawkins on Saturday. And um, looking forward to, to studying his tape and really seeing how he fared and you know, monitoring this the the rest of the preseason because this is a, a big storyline that has developed, and I think I don't think there's enough discussion out there for it. I mean, there's a, a real possibility that Ryan Van Demark is a snap away from replacing Deion Dawkins at left tackle, and based on the way that David Questenbury has looked, okay. And what do we really know about Tommy Doyle at this point that he's toolsy? But you know, we just heard that he injured the same ACL um, or the same knee that he tore his ACL on last year. We don't know the extent of the injury, but you know, this guy's hasn't played a lot of football since he's been drafted. So uh, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. And he's a, he's a guy that I'll be paying very, very close attention to for the remainder of the preseason. All right, folks, that is going to do it for us here today on the podcast. My intention for tomorrow is to share with you a bunch of my thoughts from studying uh, the Colts preseason game. I'm going to watch the all 22, focusing a lot on Osiris Torrance, focusing a lot on Tyrell Dotson. And then just some of the other key takeaways that I have. So uh, assuming no major storylines come through, that's our plan for tomorrow on the podcast. So don't miss it. Make sure that you're subscribed. We'd love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great rest of your day. Go Bills. And I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.